Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. Hi, my name is Emil and I'm a fourth year med student. While in college, I developed poor eating habits and looked at cheeseburgers, fries, and ice cream for comfort whenever I felt down or stressed. I gained 50 pounds in two years and reached 210 pounds. That's when my friend staged an intervention. With the help of my mother's Mediterranean cooking expertise, endless YouTube tutorials, and lots of medical journal research, I slowly taught myself how to meal prep and exercise. I cut out processed foods, artificial sugars, and only ate meals that I prepared. I followed the insanity workouts in my garage at home for 120 days. I listened to motivational recordings online to push me to work out and took weekly pictures so I could track my progress. I remember what it felt like to be overweight and to struggle with cravings. But if I was able to change my diet and mentality towards food, so can you. Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call podcast. I'm Dr. Asha Shahjahan. Our goal is to help you and your family live smarter and healthier lives. Today, I'm diving into four of the trendiest diets. There's so many out there and it's hard to know which one is right for you. We'll talk about the keto diet, intermittent fasting, paleo versus plant-based, and also about what medications are available to help you lose weight, and even share some tips on how you can get started on your weight loss journey. Joining us today are Dr. Wendy Miller, Director of Nutrition and Preventative Medicine at Beaumont Health, and Emil Mualam, a fourth-year medical student from Oakland University, William Beaumont School of Medicine. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. Are you confused by the enormous amount of conflicting information about what to eat, what not to eat, what diet is best for you? Well, welcome to the club. With the trendiest diets out there, it's just so hard to keep track of what diet plan you should choose. We're living in a time where more than 80% of Americans fail to eat the recommended amount of fruits and vegetables. Americans, on average, eat nearly 2,600 calories a day. That's 500 more than they did 40 years ago, according to the USDA. 36% of adults in the United States are obese. As a primary care doctor, I counsel patients on diet and exercise all the time. But even I get overwhelmed on keeping up with the latest trends. So Dr. Miller, thanks for being here. Um, I just had a couple questions. It seems like there's always a new diet trend that's out there promising that you'll lose weight and look fit and gain more energy one of which is the keto diet and um, the ketogenic diet. I myself have tried this, and I lost about 10 to 15 pounds in about five weeks, and I was actually able to maintain it. So I was pretty excited about this diet, but it's pretty controversial with healthcare providers. It makes people uncomfortable from the healthcare space because it's a high-fat diet, and it kind of steers away from the balanced diet. Can you explain what is the ketogenic diet? Sure. So the keto diet is very high in fat and very restrictive in carbohydrates and moderate protein. So basically, it's putting your body into ketosis where you start burning fat for energy instead of burning carbohydrates. So typically, an American might eat like around 250 carbs per day. And with this diet, it restricts you to 20 to 50 carbs per day. So it's very low in carbs. 20 to 50 carbs a day. Can you give me an example? That's like, that's very little. So that might be like one banana. Right. One piece of fruit. One um, piece of toast. Right. So very minimal. Although on this diet, they don't even want you to eat fruit. No, that's true. 
So, yeah, the reason it makes us uncomfortable, as you said, it's not well balanced, and also it's very high in fat, and we know that fat promotes heart disease and increases cholesterol. So So what can you eat on this diet? Can you give me some examples of foods that you can eat? Sure. So um, on the to-do list, in terms of what you can eat, it'd be like meat, seafood, eggs, vegetables that grow above the ground, nuts and seeds, fats and oils, full-fat dairy products. In terms of drinks, they want you to mainly just stick with water or unsweetened tea or coffee. If you look at the, some of the research, it says that you can actually decrease your LDL, um, increase your HDL, and decrease your triglycerides um, on this diet, but it just doesn't seem to make sense since you're consuming so much. Is it because of the fact that you're no longer burning the carbs? Or Because I haven't checked my lipids since I tried this diet, so I'm a little nervous now. <laughs> Weight loss in general will help lower cholesterol levels. So if somebody loses weight, you know, almost, almost regardless of how they did it, usually it's going to lower cholesterol for most people. Mm-hmm. One thing that we're not getting the full picture of, though, is how your lipids are responding to the food you're eating. So, for example, some experts say that your post-meal triglyceride level is actually a much higher risk factor for heart attack than ch- checking like a fasting triglyceride level. So I don't think we're getting the full picture of how this keto diet is truly affecting you by just looking at your fasting cholesterol panel. And then what are some of the foods that you you can't eat on this? Okay, so what you can't eat would be actually a lot of things that we sometimes call junk food or refined carbohydrates. So like bread, rice, pasta, fruit, corn, potatoes, beans, baked goods, sweets, juice, soda, including even diet soda, and beer. (laughs) So basically, you've (laughs) cut out a lot of things that people eat a lot of. And, you know, that in in and of itself can help people lose weight because they're restricting those foods. Yeah, when I started this diet, I thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to give up carbs because I love carbs. You know, Mm -hmm. I love pasta. I love breads. I mean, I'm one of those people that asks for a second you know, bowl of bread if you're at a restaurant. Uh, But I saw all of these substitutes and I found that I was eating a lot more vegetables on this diet because of the fact that, you know, you could make pizza with cauliflower rice. Mm -hmm. Um, You can, instead of eating rice, you can have cauliflower or broccoli. And I found that I was just eating a lot more vegetables. So for me, it worked pretty nice. Um, And the other thing I wanted to bring up is that actually this diet started with children um, who had epilepsy and seizure disorder. And then they were, as kind of as a, a side effect, were also losing weight. Um, there are some studies that the ketogenic diet can help people with cancer therapy. Have you heard anything about that? We have to be a little cautious in how we phrase that just because there are certain cancers that may respond to a keto diet. Um, but it's also been find, found that cer- certain tumors grow with a keto diet. So mm-hmm. we can't you know, send a message to cancer patients that keto diet is a good thing. There's still research going on in regards to that, and it may turn out that it could be useful for certain cancers, particularly in conjunction with a certain treatment Mm -hmm. that requires that their insulin levels are kept low. So the keto diet is good at keeping insulin level low, which can help with certain treatments of some cancers. So let's talk about the benefits then of the diet. So you said it helps keep your insulin levels low. So is that good for diabetes or what are some of the benefits overall? Like for, obviously for me, I I got the result of weight loss. Yeah. 
So one of the nice things is the ketosis suppresses your hunger. So that's always a nice thing when you're trying to lose weight because obviously it's extremely difficult when you're trying to lose weight and you're hungry all the time. And as I mentioned before, because of the fact that you're taking out so many different foods that you can't eat, it really limits what you can eat. And by default, you're decreasing your calories. And a lot of times you're decreasing the junk food calories, you know, the processed Mm -hmm. refined carbs. Um, and the sugar. So sugar, we know, you know, is, is not good for our health. You know, not just for people with diabetes, but even people without diabetes, it's really not good for us. It causes our insulin levels to spike, which can promote weight gain. And insulin, high insulin levels can also promote high blood pressure. It's controversial, but it may promote cancer as well. Um, so, yeah, keeping your insulin, insulin levels low seems to have some health benefits. Then who should avoid this diet? What are some of the downsides? I heard that the women should be careful about being on the ketogenic diet because of hormonal changes with the high fat. Um, and it's also not really recommended for athletes because of the loss of um, energy from carbohydrates. Yeah, correct. So, you know, women may find that their menstrual cycles become irregular, so they may, you know, not, it might not be a good, good diet for some women. And as you mentioned, athletes need carbs. Um, it, I would caution people with diabetes because they definitely would need to consult with their physician. Um, They might be on diabetes medications or insulin and could have very dangerously low blood sugar reactions with restricting carbs and not adjusting their diabetes medications. Um, I'd also be worried about people with heart disease. Again, we don't really know the true true effects, particularly the long-term effects, and there are some studies that are showing that it actually might promote heart disease or heart attacks. Um, Other chronic illnesses, I would want patients to consult with their physician, like if somebody had chronic kidney disease, for example, that'd be, uh, you know, somebody that I'd be concerned about also. So would you recommend this diet even maybe for a short term for people that are having trouble? On a scale of one to five, how good do you think this diet is for people trying to lose weight? Yeah, from a medical standpoint, you know, like you said, it makes doctors very uncomfortable. So it's really hard to give it a high score. <laughs> I, you know, I really can't recommend it. Okay, fair enough. Um, so let's move on to the sister of the keto diet, which is also known as the caveman diet, uh, the paleo diet. Can you walk us through what the paleo diet is? So the paleo diet is a plan that's based on foods from the Paleolithic era which dates back approximately 2.5 million years ago, or at least 10,000 years ago before the farming industry. So it's basically looking at having you eat foods that were available at that time before farming um, started with dairy products, legumes, and grains. So it's, it's restricting those completely. So you're eating lean meats, fish, fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds. Okay, so you're allowed to have a little bit more carbs on this one than keto? You are, but it still restricts grains because grains came about with the farming industry. So um, the, you know, the carbs would be through the fruits and nuts and seeds. And, of course, vegetables have a bit of carbs, carbs too. Okay, so help me understand dairy. So people are like, oh, just cut out dairy. Dairy is so bad for you. Um, but you know, dairy has a good source of protein. So what are your thoughts about dairy and why do people say it's so bad? Yeah, it is a bit controversial. Um, unfortunately, 
nutrition in general can be very confusing because one day you hear, oh, this is great for you. The next day Mm -hmm. you hear, oh, this is horrible for you. Right. So it can be quite frustrating. There are some studies that do um, kind of point towards an increased, potential increased risk of cancer with dairy. So, but again, that's controversial. Um, Some, you know, kind of um, naturopathic or um, integrative medicine uh, type physicians believe that the lactose intolerance, you know, the fact that we have lactose intolerance means that the dairy is causing some problem for us, not just the fact that we don't tolerate it, but, um, and they feel that a lot of people have some degree of lactose intolerance and don't really realize it, and that might be causing other symptoms or problems. So they feel it's, you know, some, I shouldn't speak for them, but, <laughs> but you know, some integrative medicine-type doctors feel that we should just avoid dairy. So what are the pros and cons of the paleo diet? One of the uh, biggest pros, I would say, is that it's rich in vegetables, fruits, nuts, and seeds, which are all very healthy for us and are part of a a healthy diet plan. Um, Some of the cons would be, you know, there is an absence of whole grains and legumes, which those are a good source of fiber, And also they're a good source of certain vitamins and other nutrients. So we're restricting certain nutrients that could, over time, you know, um, pose a problem for nutritional deficiencies. Um, Also, what some people have found is that it can be expensive because to afford, like, wild wild game, grass-fed animals and nuts, you know, might be more expensive than somebody that's on a typical American diet. Okay. Um, So when we talk about carbs, I'm going back to the carbs because keto is, like, you know, really no carbs, and this also seems to have no carbs. Um, a meal. What do you think about, what are some examples of, you know, good carbs versus bad carbs? You know, they talk about good carbs as being ones that have a high glycemic index. And so it's ones that kind of, you know, cause your insulin, as Dr. Miller was talking about, to kind of come up slowly rather than quickly. So, you know, things like sweet potatoes, yams, um, whole grains, things like brown rice, those are the kinds of things that they say are like good carbs for you. So is brown rice really better than white rice? Well, it depends. You know, all the different things, you know, considering glycemic index, insulin levels, that's why they say that it's better for you. But, you know, white rice is also a good source of carbohydrates. It just, it's going to cause your insulin levels to move up a little bit more quickly. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it, it is controversial, as she was saying before, you know, good versus bad. Um, it is such a vague thing, and it depends on the parameters you're kind of looking at in terms of defining good versus bad. Um, but yeah, in terms of glycemic index and causing insulin levels and hormone levels to change, um, I, you know, I think you know foods that do have a higher glycemic index and cause your insulin levels to move up a little bit more slowly um, are more beneficial for weight loss. So you said sweet potato. Um, can you think say a couple others? You had yams. Can you think of any? A cauliflower, I think, has um, a low um, uh, low carb content in comparison. Yeah. Um, can you think of any foods that are high in, high in carbs that you probably would uh, avoid? Ones that are not as great are, are simple sugars. So staying away from things that, you know, are going to cause your, your insulin to spike really like quickly. Like Cheerios. Yeah, like <laughs> Cheerios, candy bars, chips, like anything that's like simple carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the ones that your body really burns through quickly and that your insulin levels um, come up pretty fast. So avoiding those simple sugars will be good. I, I think, you know, more beneficial for your health. Okay, Dr. Miller, back to paleo. Mm-hmm. Um, what it, what would you rank this one on a scale of one to five? 
So I feel this, you know, has a lot more health benefits than the ketogenic diet. Um, you know, as a doctor, you're less nervous about it. So I, you know, for a healthy person, you know, I would give it a four. Um, you know, again, if people have medical, uh, chronic medical problems, they should consult with their physician first. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, I've also tried intermittent fasting. So that's another thing I want to talk about. Um, and the reason I like intermittent fasting is because it sort of fits with my lifestyle as a doctor. I'm on the go, uh, get up and grab a cup of coffee, and I usually don't eat lunch till about 12.30 or 1, and then usually stop eating around 7 p.m., 7.30. So, Emil, uh, you've tried it, have you? Or have you've, uh, yeah, you've yeah, tried? I did. Okay. Uh, can you explain uh, to our listeners what intermittent fasting is? Yeah, sure. So when I was talking about my weight loss, that's actually the diet that I followed when I was doing it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and so... There are two different types of um, intermittent fasting. There's alternate day fasting where you eat normally one day and then the next day you go through a 24-hour fast and you alternate those back and forth. So you don't eat anything for yeah, a whole day? you go 24 hours with no food. You don't can you have, feel tired? And- yeah. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's very difficult to follow that one. Okay. Um, but you can have water, you can do coffee, like black coffee, tea, uh-huh. but you can't have anything else. Um, And then the other one is time-restricted feeding, which is what I did. And that's the more commonly um, followed one. So that one is like usually you have an 8 to 12-hour eating window and then like a 12 to 16-hour fast. So the way that I did it was I would eat from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. So I'd eat for only those 8 hours. And then for the rest of the day, which part of that was me being asleep, was, you know, being in the fasted state. Um, So as Dr. Miller was talking about earlier, you know, it's a lot of hormone uh, regulation. And so when we're in the fasted state, uh, our glucagon levels are high, our insulin levels are low. And so that puts us into like more of a catabolic or like fat burning, um, you know, in, in a fat burning state. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one of the things too, that they talk about is, you know, the effects of intermittent fasting and in, in terms of cardiovascular health, it imp- you know, improves your biomarkers like your HDL, lo- uh, lowers your LDL. So HDL and LDL, real quick, just for our listeners, HDL is the good cholesterol. Yeah. And LDL is the bad cholesterol. Correct. Yeah. So you have like these, um, you know, in terms of heart disease, you're able to, you know, HDL is the scavenger that takes care of some of the smaller, like little lipids that kind of contribute to cholesterol formation. And so having more HDL is more beneficial. So things like avocados, um, nuts, things like that have high HDL. And then LDL is found in a lot of the other um, like cholesterol-rich foods like butter, uh, things like that. So the idea is, is it improves your biomarkers, it suppresses your hunger, and um, you know, the, the thing is, is a lot of studies show that you know, um, it's extremely effective in rat models, and there aren't a ton of like, studies done on human models, but there are more and more. And what they've shown is that for people who are overweight or obese, it, it is as effective as any other diet in terms of lowering weight, uh, Im- improving cardiovascular health. Um, it improves your insulin sensitivity. And one of the things too is, you know, just because you're eating for less time, it's also beneficial because if you're eating for eight hours rather than 12 or 14, you know, you're, you might be cutting out a meal or two. And so, it, you know, just by that nature, you're actually going to be cutting out, you know, calories because everything comes down to calories in versus calories out. And that's something that, you know, people talk about wanting to lose fat and not lose muscle. And the honest truth is, is, you know, you're going to lose weight if you, you know, if you have more calories in versus out. And, you know, that, that's one of the big things too. So during the time that you're eating, can you eat whatever you want? Or is it certain foods that you can eat in intermittent fasting? How's that work? 
So in the, the classic way that it's taught is you can technically eat, you know, let's say 2,400 calories in that eight, you know, eight hour time span. But if you're not burning that much, you're still going to gain weight. So it all comes down to like weight loss versus weight gain in terms of calories and restriction. Yeah. Um, so for me, I did about 1,800 calories and I kind of did a mix of different, you know, diets. So in that eight hour time window, I was eating a lot of whole foods, um, you know, cutting out artificial sweeteners and sugars and things like that. So I was eating pretty healthy within those eight hours, mm-hmm. but I was also not starving myself. And so um, I kind of did a combination of a few different. So it was like a semi paleo where I was eating like more whole grains, mm-hmm. um, like like the whole foods and things from the ground. Um, but also um, I wasn't, you know, restricting my calories. So I was eating about 1800 calories within that time window. Um, but I was also losing weight. So I, I lost about 60 pounds doing That's it. That's great. Yeah. Okay. The one thing that it kind of bothers me too, as a doctor is, um, you know, you're taught that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And a lot of people will skip breakfast because they're doing the fasting. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Dr. Miller, about is breakfast the most important meal of the day? Is it okay to skip breakfast if you're on a certain diet? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that, you know, a lot of times we feel like one thing fits all. So, you know, everybody should do this. This is the healthiest diet. This is how everybody should eat. But I think what we'll find is more research is done that one size doesn't fit all. And perhaps there's people that might do better with intermittent fasting. There's people that might do better with, you know, kind of restricting their carbs a bit. You know, so I think we just don't know about everybody's genetics and how that interacts with diet and weight loss. So it may be okay for some people if they're doing intermittent fasting to skip breakfast or if they're doing like a 16-hour fast, they might actually eat breakfast but skip dinner. So you can really um, switch it around depending on what amount of time you're allotting to the fasting period. Yeah, and I, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Americans in general, we're overeating anyways. Like we're having way too many calories than what we should. So having this intermittent fasting sort of um, sort of takes care of those excessive calories. So I can see how that could help with weight loss. Um, so, okay, I'll ask Emil to weigh in on this one too. So on a scale of one to five, intermittent fasting, what do you think as an effective um, way for weight loss? Yeah, so as kind of Dr. Miller had mentioned, you know, for the younger, kind of more healthy person, I think it's an effective strategy where you're not really, um, you know, it's not a high fat diet and you're, you're, all you're really doing is you're eating the kinds of foods that you want to eat, but in a shorter time window and kind of following like your circadian rhythm. And so I think that, you know, in terms of comorbidities and other things like that, it is, it is a diet that is like more low risk. So I would give it about a three or a four. Okay. Um, I found it to be pretty effective for me. Dr. Miller? Yeah, I would agree completely with Emil. Um, It has been shown to have some health benefits as well um, to, you know, fast for a period of time and kind of give yourself a break from all that toxic nutritional food. (laughs) Okay. So what would you you would give it a three or a four as well? Correct. Okay. Fantastic. So it looks like paleo is winning so far, maybe? Yeah, I guess now that I think about it, I can't say paleo would win over this but (laughs) okay maybe it's a tie yeah um so my friend's mom was pretty healthy she was on she wasn't really on any medications and she was a lifelong vegetarian and then she ended up suffering a massive heart attack and after her heart attack the doctors recommended her cardiologist that she go on a plant-based diet and then i saw her afterwards a few months after and she just looked amazing she lost 20 pounds 
Um, and she wasn't really overweight to begin with. Um, and she looked a lot younger, more vibrant. Her skin was glowing. And she said that she felt more energetic. So what are the medical benefits of plant-based diet? And why are so many cardiologists really pushing the plant-based diet? And does it really help you lose weight? So um, a lot of studies are showing it has a lot of health benefits, like including decreasing risk of heart disease, decreasing cholesterol and blood pressure, decreasing risk of type 2 diabetes. So it seems to have a lot of health risks. There's also, or health benefits, excuse me. So, um, and then there's also some evidence that it might help prevent cancer too, because um, meat-based products or animal-based products there's some evidence that that might promote cancer. So especially certain types of um, animal-based foods, such as you know, red meat or processed meat in particular, you know, can promote colon cancer, for example. So it is encouraged um, you know, by a lot of different specialties now, by cardiologists, by oncologists, you know, weight loss. It can be good for weight loss, but um, sometimes people might go a little bit overboard with quantity because they're thinking, well, mm-hmm. everything I'm eating is healthy, and they might not, uh, you know, pay attention to portion control and other things. So. Yeah, because a few of my friends who've been on plant-based, they ended up actually gaining weight, but I think maybe overall they improved their improved their health. That They were just eating a lot more carbohydrates than um, they were in the past because they were substituting that for uh, meat. And just real quick, when we talk about carbohydrates, I just... I just want to talk about net carbs uh, quickly because a lot of us will look at trying to follow some of these diets and we look at the back of the label and we're like, oh, it has 24 carbs or it has five carbs. Um, Either of you want to talk about uh, what are net carbs and how do you calculate? Like, So if you're looking at the back of a label, you look at the carbohydrates, you look at fiber, and then you come up with your net carbs. So how, how does that work? So you just take your total carbs minus the grams of fiber and that will give you your net carbs. Okay, so if someone, if a food has a high uh, fiber, it, you can, it actually works to your benefit. Correct, okay. yeah. All right, just wanted to clarify that. So um, on plant-based then, how would you rate, rate that one? Yeah, I would give that a five. You give it a five? Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. I mean, you know, you talk to different people, and I, I've, there's a cardiologist even through Beaumont that really promotes it. And, you know, plant-based, you know, cutting out the carnitine, all the different things from red meat, it is beneficial. And I have a lot of friends that also have, you know, you think that eating a lot of plants means that you can't put on a good amount of muscle, like for any bodybuilders, like there are, you know, really effective ways eating tofu, other things like that, that are high protein, mm-hmm. um, that even allow you to put on muscle. So people think if I go plant-based, I start to shrink, I start to get smaller, but you could even put on a lot of, you know, there's a lot of proteinaceous like legumes that can actually, um, allow you to put mm-hmm. on weight and, and even things like that for bodybuilders as well. Interesting. But pl- I just think plant-based is really hard for a lot of Americans because our diet is so, um, and meat centered. But I guess, you know, it, would you say if someone's trying to start plant-based or just start slow and just uh, like, it's, a, I've, it's okay to have some meat in the beginning and then slowly start changing the diet in that way. Uh, Cause I think it's intimidating for people. Like all of a sudden I have to go completely plant-based. And if you're not used to that, it could be kind of hard. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, kind of doing it in a gradual fashion um, could help you be more successful. So with very, you know, when it's very strictly plant-based, it's recommended to avoid foods that come from animals as well. So, you know, your dairy, um, your eggs, um, you know, avoid fish, Of you know. So in that regard, you know, there are some 
some concerns because we know fish is healthy for us. But um, if you gradually transition over, it's much help easier than trying to do it abruptly. Okay. So, Emil, you've talked to us a little bit in the beginning about your struggle with weight loss. And um, just uh, can you talk to us, what was the hardest part of losing weight for you? And then did you feel like you failed multiple times before you were successful? Like, And what contributed to your success? Yeah, so I think the hardest part was the social aspect of it all. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of our social interactions, especially, you know, in in life today in, in America, centered around eating. Mm-hmm. Um, everything centered around food. So hanging out with people. Um, you know, it involves eating and, and, okay, and let's drinking. Grab dessert. Let's exactly. grab drinks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, and it and that's kind of how we center our, our social interaction. So I, I realized that I was it was so hard for me going to restaurants and ordering the right things because I, I just had such bad cravings. So I had to find different strategies. So when I would ask friends to hang out, I'd say, Hey, let's go hiking instead or hey, let's go for like let's go play basketball or go for a run instead of going out to dinner. Mm-hmm. Um so that was one thing that I did. And the other thing that I did was I would uh, eat like my meal prep, like before I would go out. Mm -hmm. So I would eat my meals, uh, and then go out to dinner. And so I would be full. I wouldn't want to eat anything. And I would just order water like at a restaurant or anything like that. So that was one of the effective strategies that I use. And that was what helped me lose my weight. Uh Now that I've lost my 50, 60 pounds, like I can, I can go out and eat like a normal person. Um, (laughs) I I have a little bit more control now, now that I've lost my weight, but at the beginning, like that was something that I you have I to really be strict to about do. it and really dedicated to it. Yeah. And so I had to find different strategies. Like you have to recognize where your weaknesses are. And I said, you know, I'm not the kind of person that can go out to dinner and, and get a salad. Mm-hmm. I just don't have that control. Like I'll get the burger right. and fries. So I had to find ways to say, hey, how do I get around this? You know, can I, can we do other things than eat? And mm-hmm. when we're hanging out, can I also eat before I go out and yeah. things like that? So those are the little strategies. Probably that saves I, you money too. And it did. Yeah. Um, and you know, in terms of failing, I did fail multiple times, you know, it took me about a year, mm-hmm. year and a half to, to lose all that weight. And, um, I think one of the things that was helpful for me was not to worry too much about my day to day. Um, you can go crazy checking your weight every single day. Did I lose a pound today? Did I lose a pound tomorrow? And so I did it like week to week and I took weekly progress photos. Um, and so, you know, it, it becomes, it becomes very difficult when you're going through it and you're saying, man, I've like gone a whole week without, you know, cheating once. And I've only lost a pound and it, it becomes very hard to stay motivated and disciplined. So I just kind of reminded myself, like, you know what, sometimes like the scale doesn't tell everything. Right. And, you know, I'm, I, I feel myself losing weight. I look better. And so not not worrying too much about, you know, um, what that looks like. So those are the, some of the things that I had kind of done. Um, one other thing that was helpful for me was, you know, before I would leave work, I would change into my gym clothes. And so that allowed me, you know, whenever I'm in the, you know, I would take the subway home. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm in my work clothes and I'm heading home and there's the gym that's two stops away and then home is four or five stops away. If I'm in my work clothes and I'm like, man, I just want to like change into pajamas, whatever. Right. I would just, I would just be, I would say, you know what, just go home. I'll decide to go to the gym later and change. And I never did. So one of the things that was helpful was changing before I went. And so it forced me to, to go to the gym. So finding these little ways where I cut out the thinking and it was like just so much more like regimented for me, that was super helpful in terms of helping me lose my weight. Uh, Emil, you have 9,000 plus followers on Instagram for your Gains Anatomy. Uh, what inspired you to start it? What is it? And do you feel like it resonates with people? Yeah. So um, during my second year of med school, um, a classmate and I, Tori, uh, we were asked by this lifestyle instru- uh, interest group um, at our medical school to make little videos of our meal prepping because he and I both um, love to do it. So we started making these videos and after we like um, edited and cut them, 
we sent them out and people really responded well to them. They liked the videos, they felt like they could follow them and it was, you know, two normal people just cooking and it wasn't anything super elaborate or things Give that they Give me could. an example of what you would make. So you take things like, um, you, you would do um, like, like a chicken, like pesto. And so we do like whole grain pasta um, and boil it like eight to 10 minutes and then add like grilled chicken that was already pre-cooked. Um, you know, brown rice that you just have to microwave, like things that are healthy, but that don't require a lot of prep work. And so we took different, you know, items that were in the groceries, grocery stores that were um, pretty easy to make and that were, you know, like not super hard to prepare. Because you're a med student, you're super busy and you don't don't have have, time. Right. So most of the meals that you put on there were about how long did it take to prepare them? 10, 15 minutes? Yeah, like, like 20, maybe 30 minutes. But the trick in it was doing multiple meals at once. So like I would have three or four stoves going and I would, you know, cook multiple meals at once. So in about an hour, hour and a half, I would cook about 15 meals for the whole week. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was super effective. And I have a lot of classmates that have then tried it and they really love it because, you know, for your busy work week, it's so hard to find time in the morning to cook. And you actually put them in containers ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. You put them in, you put them in like either plastic containers or glass and, um, you know, you just put them in the fridge and then you just grab three for the day. I have a little like um, bag that you know has um, ice packs in it, and I just take it everywhere with me. And it was so easy, you know. I don't have to like during lunch. You don't have to think through like where am I going to go today? What am I going to eat? Because again, the more thinking that you have on that day to day when you're hungry, the more you make those wrong decisions. So um, it it allowed me just to be super regimented in terms of what I ate. And so yeah, the Instagram account kind of started afterwards. We started filming our workouts at the gym at at Oakland University. Mm Um, we started like filming our meal prep recipes and we put up a blog with all of them. And we just wanted to share with people that, you know, you can cook really healthy, even as a busy med student. Um, and we like it because it was super relatable. You know, we're two busy, normal people and we're still finding time to like stay healthy, take care of ourselves in the midst of, you know, studying. So we felt like for, you know, people who were working, people who were in school that were super busy, it felt very relatable. And so that's why we wanted to put it out. And that's why we've enjoyed doing it for the past two years. Yeah, I've actually tried some of your workouts. They're great. (laughs) And also your meal prep as well. I've shared it with some friends. So I think that's very helpful. Thank you. Dr. Miller, I don't know if you know this, but Emil and I did a cooking demo at the Neighborhood Service Organization. Um, We um, helped people who are formerly homeless um, and who are now living in a housing complex on how to choose fruits and vegetables. And uh, Emil did a fantastic job. Uh, do you want to kind of talk about how, how that was for you? Like you were basically introducing new foods like what is kale? And because uh, a lot of these people, um, because they were formerly homeless, they'd never gone grocery shopping and had probably never prepared a meal for themselves. Um, and it was just great for you to like kind of show them how to do that. And one thing I noticed though is that, which I kind of want to talk about is that there's a sense of fear to try something unknown. And then culture plays a big role, too, in the, choo- uh, the food choices that you, you choose. So I remember you were, you were um, talking about you were using kale as one of your substances, I think, uh, to make food off of. And people just kind of cringed their face and looked at you funny. And, um, and it wasn't until they tried it that they seemed to kind of fall in love with it. Can you kind of talk about, like, how do you feel culture plays a role in weight loss? Yeah, it's huge. And something that, you know, we had, we had talked about was how just how, you know, social interactions are founded in food and centered around food. So it's culture and people don't like things that are different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, you know, you grow up eating a certain kind of food. You just want that. And the idea of something different scares us. Yeah. Um, but, you know, things like kale, hummus, like things that, you know, are, are, are delicious. And if they're prepared the right way, like they can be tasty. People just need to try them once or twice. And they realize like, this isn't that bad. And we have this idea that 
healthy food has to taste bad. Mm-hmm. And our minds are, are always fixed on that, that, you know, it's got to be fat, rich in fat, rich in carbs for it to be tasty. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. So allowing people to try these foods and say, wow, like this is tasty and I can prepare this was, was really helpful. And, you know, helping them say, hey, you know, the bag of chips that you're going to eat, you can have something that is just as crunchy and gives you that same effect, like, you know, like popcorn, but mm-hmm. it's a lot less fat and it's a lot less sugar and, and things like that. So those kinds of things were helpful. And, you know, I, I think it comes down to, you know, the fear of, of wanting to do something different. And once you're able to like, you know, work with different people and say, hey, we can take some of the diets that you're accustomed to, whether it's Hispanic, Mediterranean, um, you know, Oriental, any different type, and we can just change out ingredients and use cottage cheese, use avocado, use, you know, brown rice, cauliflower rice, Mm -hmm. just changing little things, but giving it the same flavor that it has that you're accustomed to. I think that's probably the most effective way for people who are afraid of changing their diet to actually start to transition into eating healthier. Right. Because I know when I tell my patients like, oh, we need to do some diet and exercise and I might hand them a pamphlet that has recipes, but they're like, I'm I'm never going to eat that. That's not what I grew up eating. That's not what my family eats. And uh, Dr. Miller, do you recommend people seeing a nutritionist because I know a lot of nutritionists will tailor foods according to culture. Yeah, exactly. So a dietitian or a nutritionist can be very helpful and they can work with what your you know background is, what your culture is, um, so that you don't have to completely change your eating habits. But like Emil said, you're just substituting help, healthier ingredients and that overall brings your calorie content down. So I have a lot of patients that struggle with obesity and morbid obesity. So obesity is a body mass index of about 30, and morbid obesity is anything greater than a body mass index of 40. So um, when I see these patients struggling, they have a lot of comorbidities like diabetes and high blood pressure, and they all pray, like, I hope it's my thyroid. Like, I hope it's, is my thyroid messed up? And everyone wants to get their thyroid checked. Um, or they blame it on, oh, I just quit smoking, or it's a side effect of my medications. You know, what percentage of people would you say, as a guesstimate, actually do have a thyroid problem that causes their weight gain versus, um, versus not? And then also, like, let's kind of get into medications that can help people um, with weight loss. Sure. So in, in regards to low thyroid, you know, it is a fairly common problem, but studies have shown that it typically doesn't lead to significant weight gain. You know, typically, if somebody has a low thyroid, you know, research typically shows that it, they might gain 10 pounds or so. But like if somebody has a severe weight problem, it's usually not specifically due to their thyroid, maybe the thyroid contributed to that. But um, And then in terms of medications, one of the things we like to look at is the medications they're taking currently and which of those medications might promote weight gain as a side effect. Because sometimes you can find an alternative medication that is just as effective for whatever it was being used for And that alternative might either be weight neutral or even sometimes promote weight loss. So that can be helpful. So make sure you look at your med list with your doctor and kind of go through those, especially if you've had some weight gain. Now, in terms of a lot of people say, hey, doc, I need a weight loss drug. Can you put me on Adipex or can you put me um, on some miracle drug that's going to help me lose weight? Can we talk about some of the, the drugs that are out there for weight loss and when you would consider using them on a patient? So in regards to weight loss medications, the good news is over the past you know, five to 10 years, there are newer weight loss medications that we um, are able to use now, and some of them are now indicated for long-term use. So previously, 
we used to have medications that were mainly just short-term use, meaning about three months of, of taking the medication. But these newer medications have been studied for a year or two years, um, and so they're indicated for longer term. So in regards to patients that qualify or meet criteria for taking weight loss medications, they need to have a BMI of at least 27, which is the overweight category, with a comorbidity or two, such as diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, or they would have a BMI 30 or above, you know, regardless of whether they have comorbidities. And it's always recommended not to use weight loss medication alone. It should always be combined with, you know, healthy lifestyle change. So working on diet, physical activity, and behavior change, such as self-monitoring. You know, the, the medication alone is not going to be effective. You need to combine it with, you know, weight loss efforts. And there's a lot of side effects to some of these medications, correct, that could make it dangerous? Um, there can be some side effects. In general, they're considered fairly safe, but it is recommended that a patient is monitored, you know, particularly um, certain medications at the beginning. So um, a couple of them can increase your heart rate or increase your blood pressure a bit. So those are recommended that we monitor that those at least monthly. Um, Otherwise, you know, typical side effects are similar to other medications, like some people might get headaches or nausea or constipation or diarrhea or fatigue, you know, so kind of similar side effects to other medications. And if patients are having side effects, you know, we could try a different medication. Is it true that if you just stop the medication that a lot of the weight gain comes back? Yeah, so m most studies do show that, you know, while medication is, is helpful for weight loss, a lot of times when the medication is stopped, you know, the weight might gradually increase again. So that's why, um, you know, pharmaceutical companies have done studies on looking at using these medications longer term. So previously, you know, the treatment of obesity was considered a short-term treatment, um, you know, a patient takes a medication for three months, they lose weight, and now they're off that medication. But now obesity is being looked at much more like a chronic disease, you know, similar to type 2 diabetes. So for type 2 diabetes, for example, you wouldn't put a patient on a medication for three months, get their blood sugar under good control, and then say, okay, now we can take you off the medicine. You would keep them on that medication. So so it's kind of being viewed that same way that, you know, it's not a short-term treatment. We do need to look at treating this long-term, and we do need to start viewing it as a chronic disease. What are your thoughts of some of the off-label drugs for weight loss, like Topamax? So using the medication off-label? Um, so I would say that, you know, that is up to a patient's individual physician, you know, it's, it's preferable if you're using it for two indications. Like, for example, maybe a patient has migraine headaches, which Topamax can be very good for that, but they also want to lose some weight. So, um, like, I have a patient that fits that exact scenario, and it's helped her migraine headaches tremendous, tremendously, and she has lost some weight. So it is nice if, if there's another indication for it instead of just using it totally off-label, but... But, um, you know, physicians do do that, though. Okay. So overall, if you are, is there a certain BMI that you would consider to start um, weight loss medication? Usually if somebody has been, you know, trying to lose weight through diet and physical activity and they haven't lost at least 5% of their weight, 
you know, over two to three months, then we might consider uh, trying medication with that individual. Okay, so let's say I'm listening to this podcast and I'm really motivated now to try one of these diets. What would you say it should be my first step? Well, is your main goal weight loss? or? Is it <laughs> well, let's say for weight loss. Well, there's, there's a couple of things to consider. One thing I guess I wanted to bring up is, you know, some of these diets that we discussed today might be reasonable short-term, but we do worry about the long-term effects. So it's hard to recommend a diet, you know, without knowing the long-term effects. So mm-hmm. with plant-based diets, um, for the most part, you know, the long-term effects are, are very positive in, in regards to your health. Now, in terms of weight loss, is it as effective for weight loss? It, it might not be, but if somebody is being mindful of, you know, not eating too many fruits and not eating too much carbohydrates um, and limiting their portions and trying to eat more vegetables, I think it can be as effective for weight loss as the other diets. The other diets kind of simplify the weight loss because they restrict so much that you end up, you automatically end up decreasing your calories usually because it restricts so much. But um, So I guess from an overall health standpoint, my vote is the plant-based diet. Okay. Emil? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, in terms of, you know, the longevity, I think when, you know, when, when it comes to a diet, people say, I want to be on a diet. And at some point, it means that you have to come off of it. Um, and when you talk about like lifestyle and being able to eat, you know, a certain amount of food for a long period of time, you just need to find the diet that works for you. Because mm-hmm. um, if it doesn't, you're not going to follow it. And you're in, like, inevitably going to stop and go back to how you were eating previously. Exactly. Um, so, you know, for me, my diet, I don't follow anything super crazy. I, I eat, you know, lean protein. I eat turkey, you know, fish, chicken. Uh, I, I try to stay away from artificial foods. And for me, you know, being able to meal prep and cook everything in, in, in advance. And uh, I've been able to maintain that for about four or five years, even through the Fantastic. stress of medical school. I haven't yeah. gained any weight. Um, so I, I tell people, you know, the diet that works is the one that you're going to stick to. Mm-hmm. And if it's plant-based, if it's intermittent fasting, you just have to find the one that works for you. And I think the, the issue with all these fad diets is people think that there's going to be these uh, amazing effects that are going to, you know, they're, they're going to lose all this weight and it's going to be incredible. And it, it, it can, you can lose a you know, good amount of weight at the beginning, but the sustainability is always the hardest part right. is can I keep doing this for years at a time? Um, and you just have to find the one that works for you and, you know, kind of easing into that. So even if you want to try doing a plant-based diet, you know, starting by cutting out red meat and then, you know, moving to fish and then, you know, transitioning into it slowly. If you decide you want to, you know, do intermittent fasting, starting off with a 12-hour fast, 12-hour fast, 12-hour eating, and then slowly transitioning into an eight, an eight-hour um, eating window. And so, you know, you know, finding those subtle, slow ways to do it. and to take it slow. Exactly. Because I think, you know, we always want to do these drastic changes. And then we, once, you know, once the, like, the luster and everything is gone, we kind of go back to how we were eating previously. And sometimes people end up, you know, going on these diets and end up gaining more weight because, they eat like this for a couple of weeks and they like they, you know, they lose all this weight. And then right when they're done, they go, you know, they go, you know, they they have all these cravings that they've been, you know, that haven't been satisfied. Hostage. I haven't yeah. had chocolate in weeks. And then they go on these binge. binge yeah. They go on these binge <laughs> episodes and then they end up gaining more weight. So you just have to find the one that works for you. And, you know, in conjunction with your comorbidities and other things like that, you know, finding the right diet that works for your health. Okay. So I would say out of all of these diets, just like you said, Emil, is make 
you can try them, see if it works for you, but maybe not always a long-term thing to do. Um, Balanced diet is the way to go overall um, for lifestyle changes that are sustainable. But uh, Dr. Miller and Emil, thank you so much for being here and helping us kind of sort through these diets and weight loss. Uh, It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Don't forget, podcast listeners, we are working on future Beaumont House Call podcasts. We are going to talk about how to care for aging parents and art as medicine. Is it really an effective treatment? We also want to remind you to send along any questions or suggestions to podcast at Beaumont.org. In future podcasts, we'll be answering our mailbag. Till next time, thanks for joining us on the Beaumont House Call. We leave you today with this healthy thought. Any diet out there will help you lose weight. Anytime you focus on controlling your intake or cut out major food groups, you're inevitably going to lose weight initially. It's whether or not the weight loss is sustainable that's important. Adopting a healthy lifestyle is difficult, but it can be enjoyable. Talk to your doctor about some of the diets we discussed. Be open with your doctor about fad diets that you've tried. Talk about your preferences in food, your budget. See a dietitian if you haven't. Check with your insurance company or employer for weight loss programs that could help you. As Emil reminded us, weight loss is a journey. It's never too late to start. Only you can change your life. Nobody can do it for you. We can all come up with countless excuses to eat junk. I do it myself feeling tired and PMS saying, just one more bite of ice cream to beat the blues. Come on, you're way stronger than these excuses. Now it's time to take care of yourself. Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. Visit beaumont.org slash podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast.